If, uh, if you got your Bibles, we are in Acts chapter 18, and we are continuing on in our journey through the book of Acts. And so as you're turning there, we're going to be in Acts. We're going to start uh, around verse 24. Uh, but as you're turning there, I brought, I did bring something that I wanted to share with you this morning. And it is a very, very little something, um, but maybe you can see it. Uh, it is it is a seed. It is a seed. It is a corn seed. All right. Uh, and so my family and I, we tried something we have never done before, uh, and that is to grow a garden. Any gardeners in the house? Oh wow! We should hang out. <laughs> um, teach us. And so uh, we we have been growing a garden, and we had some amazing and have some amazing mentors that are teaching us along the way. And so, so it began with taking little seed like this and planting it in dirt that looked like this. And this is uh, where we were. Uh, we're uh, this is kind of the little, we, not all of that is where we're at. We're just kind of a little part of it. Uh, but we took this seed and we put it in that dirt. Uh, and in just a matter of weeks, it's amazing what happens. But in a matter of weeks, yesterday, this is a picture from the same piece of dirt, uh, all of that, all right? And so in that is, is all kinds of things. There is okra, there is purple whole peas, there are lima beans, there are green beans, there's cabbage, there is corn, there is tomatoes, there are watermelons, there are cantaloupes, and I'm sure there's like other stuff that's <laughs> in there. There's lots in there, lots in there. And, and what I've learned and I'm learning is that when you, um, when you go to see if whether that fruit or that vegetable is ready, you're looking for specific things. And so I never knew any of this until now. So here's what I'm learning. When is a watermelon ready? There's a little curly cue at the end of the watermelon. And when it turns brown and then you roll the watermelon over and fill it over it and it's rough, that means it's ready. Evidently so. If you're picking watermelons, that's how you know. Cantaloupes, they turn completely golden, and most of them will just fall right off the vine when they're ready, and you just literally you just pick them up. Tomatoes are red, purple whole peas, purple, very thankful for that obvious time when those are ready, um, and okra, three inches, they're ready to go. Uh, corn, they have these little silks at the end, and when they're brown, that means they're ready. There's just all these different things that I never knew but it's like, if you, if you want to know when, when maturity is happening, if you look for those signs and you see them, it's a sign that it's ready. And what blows my mind is that this little thing right here, and, and little things like this right here, and some much smaller, when they're planted in receptive soil, and that's a big, big difference maker right there. But you plant them in receptive soil and, 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 and the seed is watered. And, and the best way to describe it is God brings the growth. And, and we see the same thing happening in Acts. Since we started in February, that first Sunday, walking through Acts chapter 1, started with Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus told his disciples, he gathered them on the Mount of Olives and he told them, he said, you're going to receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth and exactly what Jesus said and this is so encouraging for us that what Jesus said came to fruition and continues to come 
to fruition. And you see that everywhere this gospel message, that is the fact that Jesus came to rescue sinners and to forgive sinners and to begin relationship with sinners, to have eternal life relationship with sinners, that that gospel seed was planted and everywhere that seed fell on receptive hearts, you see kingdom growth and it's happening all over. It started in Jerusalem, went to Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And just this past week, we were in Acts 18 there towards the top part of that. And, and Paul, the great missionary, Paul, this man who loved Jesus more than anything, that he, he found himself in a place called Corinth. And, and when he arrived there, he was all alone. And it was a, a, a morally, best way to describe it is just a morally depraved city. And in the providence of God, God connected him with Priscilla and Aquila, these lifelong friends and ministry partners, and, and, and connected their lives together. And the church in Corinth was birthed and started. And what began as a seed was planted, and the church continued to grow. And so Paul there in Corinth is like, okay, I know the, the Holy Spirit is calling me. It's time to go back to my sending church. And so that was Antioch of Syria. And so when it was time to go... They left Corinth, he took Priscilla and Aquila with him, and on their way back to Antioch, they stopped off in a place called Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. And when he got to Ephesus, as Paul would do, he would go in the synagogue to reason from the scriptures, and in uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 21, the, the Jews there in the synagogue, they actually asked him, can you stay longer? Like, every, every place Paul went, there was... There, was, uh, there were adversaries. Many times they were trying to literally kill, to kill him. In one, one city they stoned him and left him for dead. Others they imprisoned him. The religious mob would try to track him, track him down, take his life. I mean, he was met with opposition everywhere he went. So imagine what it was like to get to Ephesus and go to a synagogue, reason from the scriptures that Christ is the Messiah, our only hope. And they're like, tell us more. Tell us more. And so what Paul told them was, if the Lord wills, I will be back. And so he leaves Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila stay. They make it to Caesarea. They go to Jerusalem, probably for some feast. They go up or, or, or down um, geography-wise, uh, down the mountain city into back to uh, Antioch. And in verse 23, I think it's important to, to kind of read that, is, is it says, after spending time there in Antioch, he, Paul, departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So what we saw was the end of his second missionary journey, and he was there for a little while, and then it's time to go again. It's time to go again. And so as he's making his way back to visiting those churches that were planted along the way, the Dr. Luke who wrote Acts, the Holy Spirit through Dr. Luke to us, Gives us a meanwhile back in Ephesus. Here's what's happening. And so Paul's kind of making his third, start his third missionary journey. And meanwhile back in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a magnificent city. It was, it was one of the largest, one of the five largest cities uh, in the ancient world. Uh, it was, um, it was a, a, a commercial center. It was an intellectual center. Uh, it was known as the marketplace of Asia. Uh, there in modern day Turkey. 
And it, it, right in the center of the city, I've mentioned this kind of as we walk through Acts, is that every Greek city, the high place, uh, was called an Acropolis. And on every Acropolis, there was a temple. And there was a temple that was built to the false patron god of that goddess, god or goddess of, of that community. And so in Ephesus, it was the, the goddess of Artemis. And, and she was the protector of, of young women uh, and of the hunt. And this temple, if you thought the Parthenon in Athens was, was a marvel, this place was four times larger than that. It's right in the middle of the city, and it also housed in Ephesus one of the largest, one of the three largest libraries in the ancient world. You say, why are you saying that? There's going to be a point, I promise. But, but I wanted to paint a picture. This is a large city. This is a very influential city. There's a lot going on in this city. Lots of commerce, lots of education, and all of that is going on. And, and meanwhile, back in Ephesus, we are going to jump in and see what's happening. Now, here's what I love about the Bible, is that it is truth without any mixture of error. It is completely reliable, completely infallible, and God is the author. And here's what I love. You can get on a plane, and you can fly to Turkey, and you can walk in Ephesus. My wife did it a few years back. That library that we just mentioned, you can see it. The ruins are there. And so we're not talking about fairy tales, and we're not some, like talking about this thing that happened long. This is, this is actual, factual, historical action that is happening in this place. And so what we're going to see are three scenes in Ephesus, and we're going to learn in each scene something that is very important as a people, as a rescued people, that we would hear, and we would soak in what God is teaching us through this Word, because He's called us to live a life for His glory and His mission outside of these walls. And we're going to be challenged in a, in a couple ways. And just as, or similar to walking through and looking at watermelons and cantaloupes and, and corn stalks. Like you see these evidences of maturity. What we're going to see in each of these three signs is an evidence of spiritual maturity. God is always growing us. He's never done. There's never this time where you kind of be like, okay, I'm all good. Like God's ultimate will, Romans 8 tells us, that you would be conformed to the image of His Son. That your life looks more and more like Jesus. And so I know that I can probably testify and everybody agree. We all need more Jesus. <laughs> we need our lives can look more like Jesus. And so one of these marks that we're going to see, these gospel measures in spiritual growth, is one is to have a humble and teachable spirit. Hungry to learn. A hungry and teachable spirit. Chapter 18, verse 24, the Bible says, Now a Jew named Apollos was a native of Alexandria, and he came to Ephesus. And he was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. Apollos was brilliant. He was, he was an intellect. He was eloquent. That word, you dig into it. He was a man of many ideas. He was a man of many words. He came from Alexandria. It was down in Egypt, set at the mouth of the Nile. I mentioned Ephesus was home of the kind of the third largest library. Alexandria was the home of the largest. Like he was completely an intellect, a man of knowledge, competent in the scriptures. Your Bible or your version might say he was mighty in the scriptures. In other words, not only just a powerful understanding of, of the word, 
but, but he, had a, he, had, he understood the power that the word held. And so he had this, this, this competency around the scriptures. He was brilliant, a powerful understanding. In verse 25, the Bible says that he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he broke or he spoke and he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, it's important to understand where we're at in redemptive history. When it speaks of the scriptures there, it is speaking of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is complete. It's canonized. They're clinging to it. They're teaching from it. Uh, it's making its way around. And so the New Testament, uh, the, the New Covenant of Christ and His death, burial, resurrection is complete. But they don't have the New Testament scriptures. And so it's being lived out. It's being written before their eyes. And so when we see this, Apollos, he has this powerful understanding that those scriptures point to Jesus, but he only knew the baptism of John. He only knew the baptism of John, so he knew the scriptures. The Old Testament's all about Jesus. He knew it all pointed to Jesus, but had not realized up to that point that Jesus had come. And the death, His burial, His resurrection, and the significance of that for His life. And so what he did know was the baptism of John. John's baptism, John the baptizer, the one who baptized Jesus, John the baptizer, uh, his baptism was a baptism of repentance. And so, so as, they, as, as those would come to John, he would baptize them, and it was a baptism of repentance looking toward the Messiah that would be to come. Christian baptism is commanded by Christ in the Scripture Baptism identifies us as believers in Jesus Christ and it looks backward at the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so, for Apollos, he was a believer, but not in the full sense. His understanding was growing. Verse 26 says that he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. I love Priscilla and Aquila. We all need a Priscilla and Aquila in our lives um, not only do we know their names rhyme, like that's amazing in and of itself, but they are just godly marketplace Christians who loved God, who knew the gospel, who had been changed by the gospel and wanted the world to be changed by the gospel. And here's Aquila and Priscilla and they're listening. They're listening to what he says. And they hear how accurately he's teaching from the Old Testament scriptures and how he's pointing to the Messiah that's to come. But as they're listening, they're noticing that it's incomplete. And so what do they do? Priscilla and Aquila likely bring Apollos into their home. The Bible says, take him aside. And they didn't blast him. They didn't make him look like a fool. They didn't try to make him look stupid. They didn't try to make him look like a moron. They didn't try to embarrass him in front of all the people. They lovingly and graciously saw in him 
a, a, a lack of understanding in the full gospel of Jesus that Christ had come and his death and his burial and the significance. And so what they do is they bring him aside and they lovingly, in grace and truth, invest the truth of the gospel into his life. And what happens? Apollos gets on a boat and he goes back across the Mediterranean to Corinth where Priscilla and Aquila served and where Paul planted that church. And he greatly helped the church. I love that. And he refuted the Jews. A guy you don't want to be in a debate with. But he was faithful. As soon as he had that truth, he went and he shared that truth. I, I love, there's a verse over there. Uh, oh, here it is right here. Uh, there's a verse over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. So Paul wrote Corinthians, the letter of Corinthians to the Corinthians while he was at Ephesus. And he said this, he said, and maybe you've heard it. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And so here, Paul had planted this church faithfully and he's continuing on mission for God. Apollos had gone back and he's greatly helping this church, but God is growing the church. He is growing this church. But in Apollos, here's a couple things. I love his humble and teachable spirit. His humble and teachable spirit. Think about it. This was a brilliant man. This was a man that could have said, don't you know where I'm from? Don't you know I'm from Alexandria? Don't you see all the degrees I have? Don't you see that if you get into a conversation with me and you don't know what you're talking about, I'm probably going to win. <laughs> like he, If anybody could be defensive by being approached in grace and truth, it possibly could have been Apollos. Like he had, he, had, he had all the knowledge in the world. But yet, here's what I love, Priscilla and Aquila, and this is an encouragement to us as believers, that this is an encouragement, is that don't let degrees intimidate us. Don't let uh, worlds of knowledge intimidate us. This was a husband and a wife who were on mission for God and knew the truth of the gospel and desperately wanted everybody to know it and knew that God had called them to place that truth and pour that truth into Apollos' life. And I know what it's like to be in conversations where you don't know what people are talking about. If I go to get my truck fixed, I'm just like, I have no idea what you're saying. I, I wish I knew more. I know nothing. I remember when I was recently married with my lovely bride and, and I was kind of getting to know the family and, and, and all of that. And, and my, my father-in-law was a judge at the time, and my brother-in-law is a CF, one of them's a CFO, and one of them would install sound systems in big facilities all over the country. And I'm sitting around the table, and I'm just like, I, I don't really have a lot to offer the, the conversation. Um, but here's what I know. It, it, it doesn't matter. None of us know everything. But as believers in the Lord Jesus, He has entrusted us with this gospel. That is the only good news that can save a lost soul. And for Priscilla and Aquila, they're like, they invested that into his life. And I love that. And so here's the challenge. Are you approachable? Am I approachable? Are we teachable? Are we humble? Do we know everything? Do we allow people to speak into our lives? Even in our own homes. To, to say to our spouses that, that we want to honor the Lord. We want to love the Lord. And I know I'm not perfect, but, but I want you to speak into my life. You have a front row seat. You have the closest look. 
than anybody else. And I want you, I want to ask you to just speak into my life. And, and I want to I wanna honor the Lord. I'm teachable. I'm humble. I'm receptive. I'm listening. Or is there just this, I have it completely all together and no one can question me or pull me aside or speak truth into my life like, like the door is closed. But, but here's the encouragement. Spiritual maturity, by God's grace, we stay humble. And by the way, we always stay humble and we stay teachable and we stay receptive. And God continues to work His purposes out in our life. So one gospel measure is to be humble and teachable. A desire to learn. Desire to learn. A second gospel measure is quick to respond. A desire to obey. Not talking about being foolish, but I'm talking about if God says it, I believe it, and, and that's all I need. I'm going to follow. The Bible says in chapter 19, verse 1, that it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. So now Apollos is over in Corinth, and now Paul's in Ephesus. This is going to be home base for the next several years. The home base for ministry. And there he found some disciples. And now it's important to know disciples doesn't necessarily mean disciples of Jesus. Like a disciple is a learner. And so you can be a learner of a teacher. You can be a learner of a coach. You can be a learner of a rabbi. You can be a learner of a philosopher. You can be a learner in school. I'm a learner in a garden. Like you learn. We learn. A disciple is a learner. And Paul is going to ask some good questions. And that's what Paul does. He asks great questions. And so as he's talking to them, he will discover that they are not disciples of Jesus. In verse 2, the Bible says, And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Well, into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. So they're disciples of John. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. I love Paul. I love Paul's question asking. I believe whether you call it a, a tool or whether you call it a, an approach, whatever you call it, that the best way to share your faith with with other people, is simply to start by asking questions. Ask questions. They know you love them. They know you care about them. You're asking questions about their life. They're going to share. They're going to share. And so as you walk through that, that's what Paul does. Paul's asking questions, and he's gauging where they're at. Where they're at spiritually. And he asks the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And the, 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 the question is, what Holy Spirit? No, I don't know what you're talking about. So immediately, Paul is clued in that these are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ at this point. They were disciples of John the Baptist. So again, John's baptism was of repentance, looking toward the Messiah. But Christian baptism is baptism commanded by Christ. He was our example and looks backward at his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And so... Evidently, these guys did not know that Jesus was the Messiah, but when they heard and when they knew the truth, they were quick to respond. God said it, I believe it, they responded. Verse 5 says, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so these 12 men, as soon as they heard the word, as soon as they knew this is what God's command was for their life, they obeyed. 
And so today we celebrated the baptism of Easton. That was awesome, man. I love you. That was awesome. Get to celebrate with the family. I love that, taking that bold step of obedience. Um, next Sunday, we're going to celebrate baptism. On the 15th, we're going to celebrate baptism. It's such a celebration because what it is, is it is a, it is a public declaration that I am in Christ. The, the baptism, that word baptize means immersion. That's why we baptize by immersion. And, and, and when a person's baptized, just like we saw a few moments ago, they go under the water. That symbolizes the death of Jesus. And that He was placed in the tomb. And that when He rose out of the water, that is symbolic of Him resurrecting from the grave. And then for the believer, it is a picture of the death of the old life as a non-follower of Christ. But you're raised to walk in newness of life. That you are not ashamed to let the world know that you are in Christ. Baptism does not save you. It is an outward symbol of an inward change. And it is a declaration that you are not ashamed of Jesus. And so I would just encourage you, if you are here today listening online, and you've had that time and place where you've received Jesus as the Lord of your life, but for whatever reason, you haven't taken that step in obedience to baptism, that this is God's command. Jesus said, go, make disciples. All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's His command. It's His example. Every New Testament baptism, everyone you go to, is a, is a, is a, newly, uh, a new believer in Christ. And they, as a public profession of their faith, place their faith and trust in Christ, and then they're baptized. And that's what we see all through the Scripture. They heard, they obeyed. Verse 6, And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, and they were about 12 men in all. So if you're familiar with Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon them, they spoke in tongues, that is a is an intelligible language. If you read that text, you hear the people were gathered there and they're hearing the gospel in their language. And so what happens is in that gospel then goes out all over from Jerusalem. And the, the, that's how the, the church in Antioch was there before Paul ever got there. The church in Rome was already there before Paul got there. The gospel was going out. And so them speaking in, in tongues and prophesying was this Evidence to those around them that they are believers in the Lord Jesus in that time in redemptive history. And so this kind of solidified the fact that Gentiles are believers too. They receive the Spirit too. The Bible says all believers have the Spirit of Christ dwelling in them. Paul in Ephesus wrote to Corinth. He, said, he says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore glorify God with your body. And so we, we as believers house the, the Holy Spirit, God's presence in our lives. So thankful we don't have to pray, God, be with us. He, he lives in us, living and guiding and gracing us to follow Him. So, so as we grow, what do, these, what do these measures look like? A humble and teachable spirit, hungry to learn. Not only that, a desire to obey, quick to obey, a desire to, to obey. That's the desire there. We see that in a, in a last one is this, is faithful over time, committed to sharing the gospel with others. There's a book, uh, Eugene Peterson wrote it. I don't know if he's the originator of the phrase, but I love this phrase. 
a great definition of faithfulness is long obedience in the same direction. I love that because it paints such a picture because all of us have lived life this week. And all of us probably were, were caught off guard or surprised or even thrown off. Difficulties, um, sicknesses, just plans that weren't in the plans happened. Like all of that happens. And so, so what happens is what we see of Paul is Paul day in, day out faithfully shared. Whether it was an easy day or a hard day. I love the word Acts uh, chapter 19 verse 8 says, And he, Paul, he says he entered the synagogue and for three months, three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Now, what happened? That first trip to Ephesus, you remember he went to the synagogue? They were eager. They're like, teach us more, tell us more. And so now Paul's back. He's been there for three months. He's going and he's reasoning from the Scripture. And I think a couple things might be happening. One is people are giving their lives to Jesus. And it's throwing off the dynamic of the synagogue. And the rulers are rising up. And they're like, nope, this can't happen. And they try to quiet the gospel down. But what we do know is that Paul was faithful to share and hearts were hardened, rejecting the gospel. And so Paul was faithful to do what Paul was called to do. And so now it was time to move to a new location, just like in Corinth. They shut him out of the synagogue, and so he went next door. He gets shut out of this synagogue, and he goes to the Hall of Tyrannus, or the School of Tyrannus. And so he's, he's, he's there. And so it's here, the Bible says, that he was there, and we'll see it in a moment, for, for two years. And so he, we don't know a lot about Tyrannus, uh, but, but we do know that, that he, was a, he was a teacher of some sort, a, a philosopher of some sort. He had a classroom. And so even in that day, people, the hot days, people would work early and then kind of take a break uh, in, the, in the afternoon hours, and they'd go back to work. And so during this break time, evidently, Paul worked out some kind of deal with Tyrannus to be like, hey, man, can I, can I use your classroom? <laughs> can, I, can I use your classroom? And, and evidently, a, a deal was worked out, and he was there for two years. And so the church of, of Ephesus started in a secular place. It didn't start in a church. It started in a schoolroom. And here's what, I, you know, I don't know 100% if this is the connection, but, but I mentioned Paul wrote to the Corinthians from Ephesus. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 7 and 9. Here's what it says. Paul says, For I did not want to see you now, just in passing. He's talking to the Corinthians. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? Verse 9. Could be what we're reading about, don't know for sure. But here's what he says. A wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. For two years, day in and day out, Paul faithfully, though there were many adversaries, faithfully living yielded and surrendered to the Lord Jesus, teaching the word, Preaching the word. 
discipling other believers. And look at verse 10. This is an, an incredible verse. This continued, the Bible says, for two years so that all of the residents of Asia heard the word of God, both Jews and Greeks. That from Ephesus, from this kind of home base, over the course of just over a little two years, all of Asia heard the gospel. Two years. It just makes me excited for the potential of what could happen in our community, in our state, and really the, the entire world. That in two years of faithfully serving, faithfully teaching, faithfully pouring in the Word, faithfully investing in others, faithfully raising up leaders, faithfully sending out leaders, faithfully, faithfully, faithfully. It was during Ephesus that the church at Colossae was started. Paul had never gone to Colossae. They actually, somebody had come to Ephesus, likely uh, was saved under Paul's uh, teaching and went back and started the church. That in Revelation, you read about those seven churches. Every one of those churches are right there near Ephesus. Probably all were influenced by the ministry there. And you just see by this faithful gospel ministry that the whole, the whole of Asia knew. And so here's what I love. I love Paul's maturity day in, day out. Faithfully serving the Lord. Faithfully loving God. Faithfully loving people. Faithfully living sin. Even though there were many adversaries, he showed up every day, even when it was a tough day. And I, uh, I saw this quote come across over the weekend. I, I think it's, it's worth mentioning, but it says this, Ministry usually ends up being done by whoever shows up, that showing up is more important than being talented or gifted. Just be faithful. And so as we see this passage... The encouragement to the believers is that I've said it often and I, I just I feel just to say it again. We are we are all works in progress by his grace, by his grace. And so the challenge is this believer. Holy Spirit living inside of you as a believer. The question is, are you are we are we humble? Are we teachable? Do other people have the ability to speak into our lives? Do those who are closest to us know that we do want to honor the Lord with our lives? We do want to honor Him. We're not perfect. We know that. We fail every single day. But you have permission as Priscilla and Aquila to pull me aside and to speak into my life. That we can speak into each other's lives. And so this challenge of always staying moldable, staying teachable. And then if, if in our hearts as believers, if we know, if we know that God's word says to do this, that as believers that we would not shrink back, we would not put it off, but we would be like those disciples in Ephesus. That once they knew God said it, it was God's command, they believed it and they obeyed it. And so even perhaps as a believer, for them, it was, it was baptism. It was, it was accepting Christ, the Messiah. It was following a believer's baptism. And they followed. God said it. I believe it. They obeyed it. But then also that there's just this encouragement that we would cheer each other on as we go. Because it could be, and I've heard this multiple times, that sometimes that 
you don't realize that, and no pressure here, but I guess it kind of is. We all got that pretty. But like as a believer, if people know that, your faithfulness to the Lord is a testimony. And so whether we even realize it or not, maybe non-believers, outsiders, they're looking and they're saying, does Jesus really make a difference? Does Jesus really make a difference? And it's going to be that day in, day out, even if there's adversary, even if there's struggle, just day in, day out, faithfully living, yielded to the Lord in every way. And I mentioned this in first step a while ago. It's, it's not that we, we mess up a lot, but, but it's just by God's grace, we don't, we don't pity and we don't rest in guilt. Christ took away our guilt. He forgave us of our sin. And so we acknowledge that it's sin and we turn from it and we trust Him and we keep moving forward. We trust Him. We trust Him. And it could be today that if the question were asked, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Not asking even about like the ability to know information about the Bible or even information about Jesus. The question is simply, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Because He created you for a relationship. And it could be today that it's not so much about talking about spiritual maturity and what that looks like. It literally like, like perhaps today is the day of salvation, the day of beginning a relationship with Jesus. You were made for that. And so even today, perhaps it's God through his word and his grace pursuing you to share this gospel seed and to plant this gospel seed into a receptive heart. And that you would experience His forgiveness and His grace and His love and His care. And so if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but, but perhaps the Holy Spirit is bringing some conviction in your life, and you're like, I know I need a relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way. He's the only way. We can't be good enough to be holy. <laughs> We don't have enough good to outweigh the bad. God is holy. We are sinful. And He made the way where there was no way for us. Through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so I, I encourage you today. If that's you, please, today, could it be the day of salvation for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for this passage of Scripture. Thank You for this gospel movement that is happening all over the world continues to today continues in this room continues online the father here we see believers at all different points of their spiritual journey but we see them humble and teachable we see them walking in obedience and we see them in it for the long haul and so god i pray believers are encouraged today encouraged, encouraged. We can't do this on our own. You didn't make us to. You've given us your spirit to be for us what we could never be for ourselves. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today who doesn't have a relationship with you, that today they would understand and hear and know that even now you are pursuing that relationship. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He made the way. He did it all. He paid it all. 
And that your word says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for anybody who does not have that personal relationship. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. This is the time of response. Anytime we open the word, the word demands a response. And the Holy Spirit applies that truth to our hearts wherever we're at. And so I just want to just make it known. Just feel led that if you're here and you're like, I could really use some encouragement. I really need somebody to pray over me. Whatever that might look like, we'll have pastors here. would love to pray over you. Come to altar and pray. Come to altar and pray. Pray there, pray there. But just being sensitive to however the Lord would want to lead.